I think you're right. And I think no matter what in life, you're going to struggle. There's, you know, if it's, if it's not health, it'll be career. If it's not career, it'll be family. If it's not family, it's friends. It's like, I mean, it's, it's impossible not to struggle in life. I think as a parent, of course, you're like, that's the last thing you want for your child is to struggle in any way, shape or form. So of course your mom was saying, I mean, I, I will say the same thing about Elvis, of course, but like, it's just impossible. But I think you're right. Like the, that the biggest lesson is how do you get back up? That's the thing to teach, like to teach, like the resilience is, uh, is, is key. Welcome to Camp BP Uncensored Podcast, Season 4, Episode 104 of Powerful Women that we are featuring this season, and our guest this week is Amanda Klutz. Amanda is a TV personality and a host of The Talk. She is an entrepreneur and fitness instructor. She is an actress, performer, dancer. She is a writer, author, filmmaker. She is a mother, she is a daughter, and she is a sister, and she is a sweet, authentic soul who, when she makes up her mind and has a vision, she makes it happen. I became aware of Amanda in 2020 when her husband, Nick Cordero, Broadway star, had contracted COVID and it became a very public opportunity for her to be able to share his story and gather people together to raise them up. And the Broadway community was extraordinary as well as her Instagram community. The world at large became aware of Amanda and Nick's love and the process of what they went through during this very strong, troubling time. Amanda and I had the pleasure of meeting on Dancing with the Stars two years ago and have since had a really sweet connection. And I cannot wait for you to sit down and listen to our sweet conversation together. So grab that coffee and grab that cannoli because here we go. Hey there. Hi. (laughs) Oh, I love the hair. I'm telling you, it's like four months of new growth. I really like it. It looks great on you. Thank you. Who knew, right? I know, but you wear it so well. The the cut, the color, everything. Well, honestly, Amanda, I have not done a thing. I've literally, I just saw this, um, you know, my trainer had told me, document everything Felicia because you never know how it's going to affect other people and what could come of it and you understand this better than I do you know or as well as I do so I did that and then yesterday I was doing work and four months ago when I was told I was in remission this photograph popped up and this six chemo treatment like literally took it all away like the brows everything it just kept slowly falling out Mm. And I was like, oh, my God, wow, the power of transformation is really something, right? Yeah. 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 It really is. Yeah. Which is why I've always felt connected to you, even before this whole journey. And we are recording, so I'm just going to kick it off. 
Yeah. Hi. Love you. Love seeing you. And love happy it. anniversary, by the way. This is our second anniversary. Yes, that's right. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Yes. I love it because last year how we met, how we became buddies. <laughs> yeah, I know yep. because I remember last year showing up at your house going, happy anniversary. And I was like, it took a moment. I was like, oh, my God. So just to backtrack on that, how we met was because of Dancing with the Stars and because I was spray tanning you on season, I don't know what season it was, but it was 2021. Season 30. Season 30. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. And I am, you know, when I became aware of you, obviously was during 2020 when Nick got sick. And I never told you this, but um, your connection with Zach, with Zach Braff. I did the first season of Scrubs with Zach and thought he was just a super smart, kind human being. And it made perfect sense as I've gotten to spend time with you, why you all would be in alignment with one another. Yeah. Best friend. You know? We're like brother and sister. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. So, you know, the reason why I asked you on here is because I've been doing this. I'm very passionate and also very curious about what makes people tick and how do we inspire and how do we keep getting up? And women, I think, have this ability to show whether it's children or siblings or the world how we do that and you've always been somebody to me who is always led with your heart and always led with a sense of hope and um and that you just keep getting up and even before like your situation with going through publicly with Nick and your loss of Nick so I wanna I wanna start with you as a little girl back in the Midwest mm-hmm. in Ohio. <laughs> yeah. You grew up in an amazing family that I've had the pleasure of meeting. And foundationally, I'm curious, what were your parents, you know, teaching you that you think gave you tools to be, you know, to set forth into the world that mattered? You know, I think I, I think about this a lot, obviously, because I'm raising a son and um, my family still to this day is so close. I'm so close with my siblings. And I think that the there's three things that they did right. The first was they instilled the love of God in all of us, a higher being. Um, they made it the forefront of our family. We went to church every Sunday. We were a part of the church. We sang in the choir. We prayed as a family. We um, went to vacation Bible school. It was just um, like a, a huge pillar in our family and in and our growing up. Um, it was just a part of of how they raised us. And I do think that that really helped us all to. Um, I just think it's really important now, looking back, whatever 
you believe, just to believe in something that is bigger than yourself, I think is a beautiful concept. Obviously, I have deeper beliefs than that, but I'm just speaking generally for for I think the goodness of someone to believe that it's just not all on you. It takes a pressure off. And I learned that a lot in life as I got older. I think the second thing that they did for us um, was that they instilled in all of us that we are each other's best friends. We support each other. We're at each other's things. We go to each other's things. We're our biggest cheerleaders. We play together. Um, We, we are a family and we are a family unit. We, uh, you know, it, it was always a thing of, uh, what are we doing all together on Friday night? Like it was, it was just like family. We ate dinner together every single night at 6 PM when my dad walked through the door, my mom made dinner, dinner on the table. We sat there and as a family every single night. And then I think the third thing I just, again, realized for the millionth time was that my mom and dad just always supported us. And no matter what we did, and they still do it to this day, I just did an event in Cincinnati. They drove down and they were with me. It was for less than 24 hours, but they were like, of course, we're coming. We want to see you do your thing. We want to be there. We want to cheer you on. And they've done that our entire lives for every single one of their kids. They do it for their grandkids. They just are present. And I think when you're a present parent, um, it helps to raise good kids. So I think it's those things, those like those three things just instilled um a lot in me that now as an adult I'm so grateful for. You know, it's it's interesting the key things that you said, the pillar of believing something greater than oneself. The you don't do it alone, hence the family unit. Yeah. And that you raise each other up that way, knowing that you are always loved and supported and being present. One of the things that's always resonated with me about you, and even though you and I have never spent every day together, you know, joined at the hip, I feel this, there's something very different about you that is always the the reason why it's resonated with me because I've been with certainly aligned with a lot of people who have been successfully in front of the camera, let alone behind the camera. And the reason why you have stood out to me is because you show up authentically you and that you do feel like you always lead with your heart and with compassion and that you've never led in a way that has felt like I'm here, you're there, and therefore we go through life that way. It's always been like inclusive. And I don't want to put words into your mouth, but I, it makes sense based upon what you just shared, exactly why you continue to live that life of who you show up being characteristically, you know, um, and I, I truly believe that that is something foundationally in our industry that we need to learn a lot more about how to function in a healthy way. And I'm not going to get off into that tangent right now, but I just want to say that's what to me sets you apart from a lot of people. And also, Amanda, the kind of people, the kind of friendships that I've always had in my life. And even though my parents are no longer here and there was definitely things that went on, I think that 
still foundationally, I knew, and my, my siblings feel the same way, that we knew what mattered. We knew that people mattered. We knew that, you know, you don't go through life on, you know, on your own selfish path. You might have dreams and goals, but you don't get there by yourself. No. So, yeah, you know, so with that, those foundations, you know, when you left Ohio, I mean, as a little girl, what were you dreaming of becoming? A Broadway star in a Radio City Rockette. <laughs> and you manifested it. I manifested it. I wrote it in an essay in the sixth grade. And um, and then I, you know, I was very lucky. I, I was at a performing arts middle school. Um, and so that's kind of where I fell in love with the arts, drama, dance, and singing, and piano, and instruments. I started playing the trumpet and the piano. And then in high school, I started getting really involved with choir and musicals and dance. And so then by the time I was a senior in high school and I was in the production of Guys and Dolls playing Adelaide, I was like, I have to do this for the rest of my life. I have to make this happen. And um, somehow convinced my mom and dad to allow me to move to New York and go to a two-year musical theater conservatory so that I could be on Broadway one day. And it was not an easy convincing. Um, They had had uh, three children ahead of me go to four-year colleges to get a proper degree in proper (laughs) degree (laughs) things. And, um, you know, I was this like lone wolf asking and begging and pleading to become a dancer. And, um, Thank God they believed in me and let me do it. And I had two amazing teachers and at my Glen Oak High School, Brian Kiefer and Mary Meese, who um, sat with me and my parents and basically said, your daughter, she can do this. She'll she'll make it like she can. She'll do it. And um, and I really do think it was. I just got chills because I I clearly remember this meeting and my mom and dad were so on the fence and rightfully so. I mean, if Elvis Mm -hmm. came and said this right now, I'd be like, you're not moving to New York at 18. Nice try, honey. (laughs) Um, So the fact that they, you know, were able to, um, you know, sit down with my mom and dad and convince them and let me go. It was obviously game changer in my world. And, um, and then I was off on my mission and I, I had a mission. I'll tell you one thing, Felicia, like when I know I want to do something, when I know my path, there's no stopping me. You can tell me no a million times and I'll just be like, yeah, you got it. One day it's going to be a yes. And that's just how I work. And I love, I love that. I love when I have a clear focus because um, I can see it. I can dream it. I can see myself there. And then I know it'll manifest one day. Yeah, that's, that's super powerful because um, I, I relate to this. As a little girl, I, had, I didn't even know vision boards existed. I just had my wall plastered with things like the original cast of SNL and, and awards I had won and traveling. And little did I know that I was going to, I just have a dog that just pushed oh, her way through. <laughs> She's like, I've got to be in here. I love it. <laughs> um, 
She, um, but you know, it's, it's interesting because it's such an, it's such a powerful tool that realizing one's dreams is everything. And I think that it's really great that your parents were willing to hear, I'm so sorry for all the dog sounds behind, um, but it's really great that your parents were willing to participate in just staying open-hearted and open to your passion because, um, and I don't know if they were fiscally able to support you in that process or not, because I think that that made for a cute, you know, if that were true, it can definitely make a difference. I like you, I don't think you know this. I did a lot of musical theater. I was a cellist. I got the lead in a lot of musicals. I did it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I, I was extremely shy. And I mean, I had a big personality, but I was shy. So it's like a two-sided coin. But I learned later that that was true of a lot of people who got in front of the camera or went out for productions. And, um, but I couldn't afford to go to New York, which kept me. And ironically, when I first went out for my first professional production in Chicago, which was the closest at the time I could, you know, afford to go, I was cast in a movie. on a big movie with a big director and I was in my costume and we were all on set and he came to set and he literally said Amanda get the fat girl off the set oh my god and I was 24 oh my god and it really unfortunately took the wind out of my sail that I never should have allowed But I was already, and I just want to share, just intertwine this. The reason why I launched this podcast was because people told me to write books because of all my life experiences. And what I chose to do was to gather around the campfire with other people who we could intertwine our stories, which is why I share this with you. Because I think it's really important for people to hear, okay, so you did, so that happened. So then what did you do? Or how did you resolve that for yourself? How I resolved that for myself, even though people kept asking me, you know, God, you made us laugh or God, you made us cry. And, you know, we always thought you were a shining light and blah, 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 and still do. But how did you, you know, successfully get on with it? Well, I decided I made a decision because I also wanted to direct films. I was in film school and was only female and was only like one of three women on a film set when I first got started and not allowed to direct at the time. In the late 80s, early 90s, that wasn't happening. (laughs) I mean, I walked right into a male locker room as a designer of shows for hair and makeup. But I took my tools and I went, okay, well, if I'm not going to be able to do this, no different than you're saying, I don't care how many no's until the yeses, I'm going to materialize this. It may not be the straight path. Mm -hmm. It's going to be the path that becomes the path that gives me a lot of understanding, a lot of empathy, a lot of compassion, a lot of knowledge, a lot of figuring it out, which I think is all about how we make decisions and how we solve problems. Because to me, that's what life is about. Mm-hmm. You know, not everybody is handed like 
the golden, you know, ticket. Yeah. No, you have to create it. Yeah. Even when I, I clearly remember my dad sitting me down, um, saying, you know, okay, yes, we'll allow you to go to this school. It was a two-year conservatory, no college degree. You get like a certificate hours towards a college degree. And he said to me, he goes, this two years equals the four years, same amount of money that I spent on your siblings. So Mm -hmm. after two years, Amanda, you're going to be 20 years old and you are on your own. I like the, I can't give you any more than what I'm giving you. So I want you to just be aware that if you want to get a college education, if you want to go on for two more years, that's going to be on you. You're going to be at 20 years old on your own. And so I knew like, and that was a hard hit. I mean, obviously my parents would never leave me destitute if, if I'd gotten there, but he basically was saying, you know, like I'm, I have to be fair. What I gave your siblings is what I'm giving you that equals this education, but it's two years instead of four years. So like be ready and I had to, you know, make sure that that was going to be like, okay, here we go. That was going to be the path. But yeah, I mean, you know, it luckily, luckily it worked out. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, I also think it's really cool that your parents, your father, you know, sat you down and, and gave you a reality of parameters of, all right, we're yeah. going to support this. Here are your guidelines. We're not going to helicopter you. We're not going to just keep throwing at you. You have to figure it out. You have to make, if this is your decision, you're going to have to figure it out. Yeah. That's how they always were though. I mean, like anything, like if I wanted a new pair of jeans, I had to like walk into my dad's office and like state my whole case. I had to show why I needed new jeans. I had to try them on. They're too short now because I grew or there's a hole here or, you know, I would make things up. I would like make a pen mark on them. So I have a pen mark on them, you know, like he, he just always, and it's great because it, it taught us to be, um, you know, responsible with our money and responsible with purchases and, and, you know, uh, never, you know, going for more than that, what, what we need actually in life. And so it, it was a great way to be raised. It's how I'm raising Elvis too. So it's, um, yeah, just very, very, very thankful for everything that they taught us when we were kids and setting us up for success especially living in New York alone at 18 years old. Oh my God. Yeah. And so through the two years of the conservatory, then what, what came first Broadway or Rockettes or both at the same time? Um, No, Broadway came first. I, uh, there was a show called 42nd street and it was the revival and it was a huge hit on Broadway. I went to see it 10 times, sat in the front row. At the time, they sold student tickets for 20 bucks. So I would go and I would just sit in the front row and just mouth open the whole time. And um, they were auditioning for the Broadway cast uh, replacements, but also for the national tour. So I went in for the Broadway, I think, replacement, an open call, which means they see anyone part of the union first. And then if they're seeing non-union members, they see you after. So I waited and waited and waited. And I got cut right away from the first combo. It was a tap combo and you had to do it by yourself. And it was just basically to see if you could tap, keep rhythm and do a step. And I messed up royally. But the great thing about that was, is that I knew exactly exactly what I needed to make sure I could do for the next time. So I, 
just immersed myself in tap. Like I, I took extra tap classes. I just like tapped taps. All I did was tap. And then before I went to bed every single night, I did that, that combo that I knew I would have to redo by myself in my bathroom before I went to sleep three times in a row. Perfect. Before I would go to sleep. So if I messed up, I had to do it three times in a row. Perfect. Before I would go to sleep. I did it every night. And so then right before graduation, the national tour was auditioning and I went in open call again. And I made the first cut, the second cut, the third cut. I came back for the callbacks and then ended up getting the job. And so two days before graduation, I booked the national tour of 42nd Street. And then I think about three months later, I was back in New York rehearsing. And then we left for tour and I did the tour for 10 months. Incredible. What a great, you know, Broadway was also one of those things that I had always imagined. And being a little girl, so growing up in fashion, I was exposed to Broadway probably at age, probably at Elvis's age. Well, just a little bit older. My first two shows I saw was Hello, Dolly with Pearl Bailey and Louis Armstrong. Oh, wow. Like, you know, sometimes I would think later in life, did I really see that or did I imagine that? Yeah. (laughs) And I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the second one was the original production of Hair. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God is right. And you literally like, imagine some good ones. Oh, my God. Imagine like like when they came out from under the tarp nude being Elvis's age or just like I said, a couple years older, like cutting to the edge of my seat going, <laughs> oh, you know, and, and yeah. it wasn't. The cool thing was because I was raised third generation fashion, women's fashion, you know, New York was like a very, um, it just felt natural, even though that was never the thing that I went to do and live in because I came here to LA. Yeah. Um, but um, Broadway was just, I mean, I'm that person in the seat. That literally cannot stop crying because I love live theater so much. I mean, it makes my friends and my husband cry, laugh yeah. because I love live theater so much. It doesn't matter if it's a dramatic like Sartre or if it's the big, big old, you know, musical that makes your heart just swell. I'm, I'm just constantly weeping out of joy. Yeah, I know it is. It's a beautiful thing. I'm very lucky. Um, I know how lucky I am to have been a part of it. I I, I think when you're doing Broadway, uh, you're, when you're doing any job, really, you can become desensitized to it. And because it's your job and you're auditioning all the time and um, you wear this super thick skin and um, you can become jaded and bitter. And, you know, that's just, I, I think, a normal thing. And now being removed from it, living in Los Angeles, um, I look back on all of those experiences. I'm so grateful for them. I'm so grateful for the community that, that, that Broadway community is, is so special and you really soak it in once you leave. And, um, still to this day, my best friends are from those shows that I've done. Um, it's just such a bonding experience. Even if the show is a flop, it's actually more of a bonding experience, um, 
Yeah, I'm just I'm so grateful for that. I and I also like look back on I'm like, how did I do that? Like, how did I go to those auditions day after day after day and sing and dance and subject myself to like the negativity and the competition every day? And you just get so used to it. Like if I had to go to an audition now, a Broadway dance call, I would be terrified. I would would probably break out in hives because like you just get so used to it that you don't even realize like how intense it is. It's so intense. (laughs) So, you know, you said key things being scared. You know, I I remember just like waiting to last minute to do an audition for that very reason, because I'd be like, but I didn't know everybody else was scared. I, I just thought it was me, you know, and community is key. Like, I think as artists and artists that aren't guaranteed a successful financial future, I think that, and it's not because a lot of artists aren't successful. I think that, you know, I feel fortunate to be successful. I'm sure you feel fortunate and appreciative to to be successful. I think that um, for everyone's success, there's a lot of people out there who want to create that and how do they go about it? And um, I think that getting back to the word community is so key because it can feel very lonely going through these journeys. And if you don't have people who really love you for who you are and cheer you on and you you know, and know that, you know, you can eat ramen together or <laughs> yeah. fry together or yeah. whatever it is you do. I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, I had a, I mean, this is, it's kind of a humorous thing to me as I share this because I feel like we're, we have two very different experiences. I mean, I came out of college after fine arts, pre-med and film and photography I though I was doing theater in college and do, getting all those lead roles, I didn't go to theater because I was like, I got to figure out how to pay back these school loans. Yeah. I got to make this stuff happen. Yeah. And I had happened to have somebody who asked me if I could cut his hair. And I was like, I don't know why he's asking me, but yeah, sure. Let's do it. One person led to 300 students, mostly men, only one woman. I'd literally become like the platform artist. They'd be watching soap operas, excuse me, smoking pot Uh, and watching me perform. Yeah. And I, it was, it was the key that made me go, oh, if I can take this tool, now I'm going to go to beauty school, which of course made the family go, are you kidding me right now? The straight A, first jealous award winners, you're going to beauty school? I'm like, literally the only thing I could think to say was it's a part of the process. Yeah. And it was only then years later when I think I was getting my second or third or however many Emmy nominations and my mom is sitting at the time in the Shrine Auditorium and I was raised well, you know, and and had a, you know, I mean, a really great, you know, cultural exposure and reach for the stars kind of family. Did my mom turn to me and go, uh, okay, okay. Like, I don't need you to go get the corporate job. I know, you know, I just, I just don't want you to, you know, struggle. I just don't want you. And, you know, it's interesting because, again, even with the, the path that we've gone down, 
there's still no guarantees in life, no. you know, ever, never. And, but you still have to be hopeful. You still have to be positive. It still takes a mindset of if I, if I fall on my knees, I know how to get back up. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think no matter what in life, you're going to struggle. There's, you know, if it's, if it's not health, it'll be career. If it's not career, it'll be family. If it's not family, it's friends. It's like, I mean, it's, it's impossible not to struggle in life. I think as a parent, of course, you're like, that's the last thing you want for your child is to struggle in any way, shape or form. So of course your mom was saying, I mean, I, I will say the same thing about Elvis, of course, but like, it's just impossible, but I think you're right. Like the, that the biggest lesson is how do you get back up? That's the thing to teach, like to teach, like the resilience is, uh, is, is key. It's key. And, and, um, so, from, so from 42nd street, so when, when, how did the street. whole Rockettes part come into play? So Rockettes, I had auditioned for twice before and got cut. And so again, I knew what I needed to do. Now, luckily, the auditions for the Rockettes that I had gone to were for the national tours, not the Radio City Rockettes. Rockettes. Um, and I really wanted to dance at Radio City Music Hall. So when that audition was coming up, um, I was on tour with 42nd Street. A couple of the girls in the cast had been Rockettes before. So my good friend, Alana Salvatore, gave me classes every day and in between shows on how to be a rocket so that I could go to that audition at the best that I could possibly be. Um, from being cut again, I knew the combo. So she worked and drilled this combo in with me, making me so super sharp. I had to perform it in front of like a lot of the girls so that I got used to doing it in front of a lot of people and lo and behold, the audition comes up. I get a day off from 42nd Street. I fly to New York. Um, I'm in line with about a thousand girls. Um, I make it through the whole first day. I make it through the whole second day. Um, it is a long, brutal, brutal process. I am so focused, laser focused, prepared. I am like, I, I have blinders on. I am only like, I am getting this job. Um, by the end of the second day, a thousand girls had turned down to probably 25 girls. They hired 12 and I was one of the new 12 radio city rockets for that Christmas. So I left the 42nd street tour, gave myself a couple months off and then went back to New York and started my first season as a radio city rocket. Well, that's like being an athlete to me. Yeah. You know, just yeah. the oh. laser focus, discipline, and the determination to be a winner. Like, that's really character. That's character. Yeah. I, you know, listen, I, I love, um, I've had a few jobs that have just come my way, but I mm -hmm. will say a lot of the jobs that I got performing wise were because I went, I saw, I was like, that's for me. And I need to now how teach myself how to get this job. And I am 
laser focused when that I know exactly what I need to do. If it's singing, I need to work on. I'm singing 12 hours a day. If it's tap, I'm tapping. If it's ballet, I'm balleting. If it's all three, I'm doing all three. And I will not let my body rest until I know I can walk into that audition and basically be like, show up as the part so that they cannot not hire me. And uh, it's basically how I got probably 90% of my jobs on Broadway and tours because I I just knew what I had to do in order to get the job. I would come prepared. Well, I think it's also really important to share that because, you know, um, preparedness is, whether they say, 90% of the job, you know, I, I certainly know for everybody that's reached out to me for knowing what I, what I've achieved, like what you've achieved and different, but, but, you know, yeah. not same, but different. They always want to know, well, how can you do it? It's been years and years and years of hours and hours and hours of dedication away from family, going on location, learning, 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 problem solving, problem solving, working with different personalities, being 10 steps ahead, knowing how do you bring value versus how do you selfishly just say, well, you know, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. No, it, it, it takes a lot of elements combined. Yeah. And- I, I, I rarely just show up expecting the job. I rarely, I mean, like I said, it has happened a couple of times, but yeah. I rarely am just like, I'm just going to walk in here and do my thing and get the job. It's that's not how I, I have been hired. Um, and you know what, listen, and I think this is like a lesson that we've all heard to before too. Like the, oh, I was just listening to another podcast about this. Like, the definition of, um, oh gosh, is it success? But it's like, it's like, it feels so much better when you work for it. Like the reward for getting something that you've worked for is the, is the definition of this word. And I, and I'm botching it, but I can't remember it, but basically it's that it's like, you feel so much more, um, you know, reward, happiness, joy, uh, all of it. When you have put in the time and effort to make something happen, it's like, there's no, there's, there's no other, you know, it's it's the feeling of that is so great, you know? Yeah. And I think it's all about um, commitment, consistency, taking action and repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what you apply it to in life. And, you know, um, you know, I'm sure. And again, I'm really grateful that you shared that because listen, Amanda, you're a beautiful woman. And I'm sure that people would just make an assumption. Oh, well, because she's beautiful and physically blah, blah, blah. It's just an assumption. But that's why I think it's so important to share authentically Because it doesn't matter what we show up looking like or what we come from. You know, life isn't just a bowl of cherries 24-7. No, especially, listen, at a Broadway dance call, at that Radio City Rockette dance call, everyone's amazing. Everyone's beautiful. Everyone's talented. Everyone can dance great. Everyone can sing great. Like, that's, I mean, especially now at 
Broadway auditions. Like, I think that's why I'd be so terrified. It's like you show up and like, there's 20 of me there. Mm -hmm. It's like you, you have to, yeah, it doesn't matter how pretty or, or beautiful or tall or whatever you are. Like it's, you got to bring something to the table. And a lot of times that's preparedness and confidence. And also I think like I got very good at just being uh, great at accepting what I could bring to the table, who I was. I think that was a great lesson I learned over my years of Broadway. And that has also just helped me in life later on in life is that I would walk into the room um, as younger being like, oh my gosh, I have to, I have to, I should do, I should look like her. I should be like her. I should do that move like her. Or what do they want from me? What, what can I give them? What are they looking for, for me? And then over time, because you get told no so much and you just have to like build yourself back up over time, every time, every time, every time you get to the point where you're like, oh, I'm me and I'm going to bring me to the table and I'm going to do what I can do best. And because I've prepared myself, I'm going to do my best. Um, And if they need me, they'll hire me. And if they don't need me, they'll hire Susie because they need Susie. And um, it just really also helps to take the pressure off of like auditions and things because you go in as you and that's, you can only be you. And if you're you and they love it, great. And if they don't, they didn't need you and that's all right. Somebody else will need you. (laughs) Yeah. It's, that is just such an important life lesson because I think that I think that whether it's a young mind or it doesn't matter if you're 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. I mean, I think people go through chapters yeah. in their life and they go through the self-reflection. Uh-huh. And I think that you do, if you're a human being with feelings and consciousness and awareness and and desire to expand and bring, you know, to your table, to the table, something of value. Yeah. Confidence is everything and preparedness is everything and who you are is everything. Cause there's only one you. Yeah. That's it. You're- your signature thumbprint is that's yeah. it. And I think as you get on like later in life, I think it's a great thing to keep in mind for, you know, new experiences, meeting new people, Um, You know, I think it's sometimes really hard as we get older to like try to make new friends or put ourselves in situations where, um, you know, yes, I'm going to go to this event and I know no one and it's terrifying. And I've tried to really be better about that, especially after losing Nick. I was like, I'm just going to go. I can always leave, but I'm going to go because you never know who I'm going to meet there. And I also even think for like dating, like the best thing you can do and again, lessons learned over time, because I think it actually helps with age um, to just be like, I'm going to show up as me. And it, like, I, it's, I, I'm not going to try to be anybody else. Like if you, if we don't click or get along or connect, then it's okay. Cause I, you have to just be okay with being yourself. Um I don't know. Yeah. And I think the willingness to expand, I think the willingness to expand and always grow. I, again, I don't care how, you know, I see a lot of people, whether it's because of financial success or because they think that they've done all they can do or do want to do, they just 
check out, retire, whatever. And I'm just like, oh my God, I personally think the best is yet to come. Mm. So I think it is a mindset. I think it's a mindfulness. And I think that um, whether it's stepping into a party after losing Nick and the willingness, because first and foremost, he wouldn't want you to, to not. Yeah, no, of course. No, he would not. But it's also just like, even if, I mean, even nowadays, it's just kind of like, oh, am I going to go to this party that I know no one and just sit down and just, you know, force myself to make conversation with people I don't know. And, um, you know, it's terrifying sometimes. And sometimes I chicken out. I don't always do it. Sometimes I'm like, no, I'd rather just sit at home on my couch. <laughs> and yeah. then I will just say like, every time I just force myself to do it, it's always a positive experience. Like I always leave going, I'm so glad I went. I'm so glad that was really great. I met somebody really cool tonight or like that was a fun conversation. So it's such a lesson because you just, you gotta, I don't know. I'm also in a yes phase of my life right now, Felicia. I've, I, I've been just saying yes and uh, I really have enjoyed it. So we'll see. Well, I mean, I think that yes is a very powerful affirmation to allowing the universe to open doors mm -hmm. because it all starts with our yeses create connection. We don't have to know what that looks like or feels like, right. but our willingness to say yes. I mean, yes, no is a full sentence and yeah. there's a more, there's an important moment when you say no Correct. for reasons that, you know for yes. each an individual, yeah. but a yes. And I've spoken on this a lot, especially in the last three years, because being somebody who's literally been on film sets since I was, gosh, professionally since 28, 29 years of age, I've, I, there's a lot of things I had to say no to because of my commitment to my art, my business, what have you. Ironically, the pandemic obviously created a lot of experiences that we'll talk about. But ironically, for me personally, instead of being focused on my lead actor or lead actress, because I couldn't have my face in a phone and in a computer and expanding my mind that way, even though I've always been of like continual growth, it wasn't until then that I made a decision to start doing things messy. I didn't have to do things perfectly. And I'm still in that phase of do it messy, do it messy. It's going to get figured out. I mean, I said the other day to a, a manifestation coach that I work with, I was like, I feel like I'm throwing spaghetti on the wall. And she's like, and, and I know I'm not because I'm actually doing everything that's been my truth and my pure self ever since I was a little girl. Mm -hmm. People just may not know it. And it's yeah. not about what they know or not. It's about what I'm becoming. Yeah. <laughs> and and so, you know, for many, they're like, oh, well, this makes perfect sense that you're doing what this, for instance. But this all came because I said yes to, you know, starting a meditation group for people when I saw them sinking in April 2020. And it was no longer 14 days. It was now a couple of months. With, and people were like, losing it as you know because you were going through this I mean I'm not saying you know 
but because at that juncture, you were already dealing with Nick in the hospital, right? And so you were already having to, again, be laser focused on your husband's health, wealth, and your family's survival. And I was watching people as I feel, and I think you know this from day one when I met you, I was this, I feel things and I see things and I'm an intuitive. So I shared with you some pretty impactful stuff that you were probably either like, I mean, I don't even know this woman. No, I love it. Like, <laughs> no, no, I love that kind of stuff. You know, that's why we instantly bonded. I love that. Kind I know. Of stuff. Yeah, I know. I nothing know. Like and I never, nothing like that ever freaks me out. I'm always like, tell me more. What? What are you? What are you feeling? What are you feeling? Tell me everything. All the things. Well, thank God, because I know that it can be like very intensive and it comes from a place of my heart and it comes from a place of really because I was pre-med and again, like it's the weirdest thing to say this to you. And because I couldn't afford to see that through, I, I, I do believe that I'm here to heal and even surviving now cancer. The reason why I think it was so important to go public, even though it was the scariest thing to push that button and to start to tell my story, I realized just the importance of helping other people selfish, selflessly. And I realized in this kind of going forward, and, and I'll get back to like the beginning of 2020, was it is showing me how I'm still here to be a healer. I am still here to do bigger things than I've been doing up till now. And it's not because I'm still not going to be a makeup artist and a hair artist or maybe direct. No, those for me, I, I come into that as a much bigger picture than like, oh, look, Amanda, this beautiful pink. It's like, no, I'm telling a story with you because I'm pouring into you. But in a way that's not invasive, it's in a way that allows for you to go out and be your best you. So it's like, healing for me comes in a lot of different forms. And so going back to the beginning of 2020, all of the yeses opened up opportunities that I could never have imagined. Mm -hmm. And I'm still building on. And I think it's a really powerful thing to remind people of the willingness to say yes, the willingness to not know the outcome, the willingness to not being guaranteed, but the opportunities that can present are so powerful. And I know the connections I've made in the last three years that I never on a film set, I mean, I've been exposed to a lot of people around the world just doing our business. Mm -hmm. But the amount of people that I've met that I would never cross paths with because of saying yes, has really opened doors that, again, just like I'm so thankful for. And it's what's mentally, emotionally, spiritually, like, raised me up. Well, I see still a lot of people, even in our current environment with just our industry alone, that's still not completely settled, as you know, mm -hmm. that has made people really lost. And I get it and I understand why and why going back to community and saying yes is so important because we don't do it alone. We do need each other. We are like flowers that need to be watered. And, but we have to start with ourselves and watering ourselves so we can then in turn water others, right? Yeah, absolutely. So after the Rockettes, 
how soon after the Rockettes um, and how long were you there that Bullets Broadway came about and you meeting Nick? Oh, that was a long time because I uh, I did my first Broadway show after the Rockettes called Good Vibrations. That's where I met mm. my first husband. And I was married to my first husband for seven years. So within that seven years, I did a couple other Broadway shows, a couple other national tours, another year of the Radio City Rockettes. It was through that divorce, I was doing Bullets Over Broadway, jumping ahead to 2013. Uh, and um, and that's where I met Nick doing that show, Bullets Over Broadway, which was my last Broadway show. Um, not Nick's, but my last Broadway show. Yeah. And um, so you and Nick met in 2013. And did you soon after start dating or were you friends for a bit? No, we were friends for a bit. We actually met um, doing a reading of the show, which is kind of like a VIP club. You get asked to do a reading of a Broadway show when they're conceptualizing it and workshopping it. And um, because I had worked with Susan Stroman for a while, she asked me to be a part of the reading, which is always very exciting because um, most of the times, not all the times, but most of the times that means you're kind of like in already. And um, sometimes you don't even have to audition. They just offer you the show from the reading. So um, I felt very, very privileged to be at the reading. And I first met Nick, I was still married to my first husband and very happily married or so I thought at the time. So I was fine. And I just remember meeting him and thinking he was very nice and super tall and just being like, wow, this guy's so tall. Um, and having a few conversations with him and just like enjoying talking to him, but not thinking anything of it. Um, and then even when we started the Broadway show, I, yeah, I wasn't really like looking at him in that way at all. Um, when my marriage slowly started to fall apart, uh, there was a, a night where uh, we were all hanging out after the show, the cast and Nick and I were sitting next to each other at the bar and we started talking and I started confiding in him that everything was kind of going wrong in my life. And he had had a similar experience, but as the man. And so he was kind of giving me his um advice through the man's lens. And we kind of just ended up having this great conversation where everything else kind of seemed blurry because we were just mm -hmm. like in each other's face, just kind of having mm -hmm. this intense conversation at this wild bar. And uh, I left there at the bar, it was like 2am. And I just remember thinking, uh Oh, I, I think I like this guy. And um and then my marriage slowly started to fall apart and separate. And then we got a divorce. And within the within all of that, Nick and I started hanging out and, and getting closer. He was my best friend. He would hold me every night while I cried myself to sleep, um, listening to all of my problems and dramas and uh and and just being there for me. And we just slowly started to fall in love at the same time. It was really nice. And he very much like, don't, you shouldn't like me. We're, we're too different. Uh, you should go out and have free life for a while. You've been married for seven years. Don't you want to like date and have fun and like, don't get involved with somebody right away. You shouldn't go date Amanda. And I would be like, no, you know, that just made me like him even more like, no, I want you. I don't want to go date. 
Uh, it's not me anyways. I don't usually, I, I don't date. I don't date a lot of people at the same time. It's just not how I roll. So anyways, uh, yeah, I convinced him to fall in love with me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it would be terribly different. I, I difficult. And I think that okay. my gut says he was already there, but he was just giving you space to make sure that you were there as well. I think That's he just, Knowing Nick, he was fighting it as much as possible. He didn't want it to be true. You know, I think it was that kind of thing. It was, you know, but you cannot, you know, you can't fight that something that is right, you know, something that's right for you. No. And, you know, and thank God that the stars aligned that you guys went there and that you had the time together that you had and have had and that you know your love together created your beautiful son Elvis yeah delicious a delicious delicious little little man yeah yeah yes and um you know I'm curious because when you were faced with what you were going through and you decided you know, a combination because of community and needing support and just being very public, but in a way that was also very inspirational. And something that was such a scary time for so many people, because so many people were, you know, it was either anti this or this and that, and people losing people or people not losing people, and just yeah. a myriad and of matter happened, and then that all. Oh my God. That changed everything to added a whole nother whole nother layer onto the already intense world that we were in. I mean, yeah, it was a crazy, crazy time. I mean, I would be in the hospital and I would look out the window and there were like huge military trucks driving past the hospital, like with their like guns out and like I was standing next to my husband who was fighting for his life. I, I I like, and like you'd look out the window and there'd be like smoke coming from the city and like sirens. And I was just like, where, like it felt like a movie. Like my life Mm -hmm. during those months literally felt like a movie. There were so many times that we said that at, you know, my brother and my sister and I were just like, this is a movie. We're in a movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really a a very surreal time. I did a lot of writing during that time. I actually wrote during the George Floyd because at the same time I was literally launching my my online um, athleisure brand. And I was like, I I can't talk about this. This this really important thing is happening. I can't, this is not, this does not matter. Yeah. This is what matters. And being that my husband is black and- you know, and we have had many a talk about how things have or haven't changed over the many years. And, and only, it's only for somebody to express, not only for somebody to express, but my experience is not his experience. I remember many times, Amanda, you know, no matter how successful my husband has been in Hollywood, there were there were times early on in our relationship where he, this man would cry himself to sleep because of the unbelievable stuff that was said to him. And I would just be like, if this man was born in another skin, 
he would be considered the king. I mean, he's so loved. He's so the most talented in his in his world. But there are just, you know, this is just life. And how do we go through life? And so it's interesting being, um, you know, during that time when I was writing, from my perspective, I was writing from a little Sicilian Jewish girl's perspective of what it was like to experience discrimination growing up during a wildly crazy 60s, the late 60s, and how I parallel that to what we were going through then. So yeah, I would imagine and never in a million years, you know, when Nick got COVID, I mean, that whole period of time must have been so surreal. How do you feel that you found the strength to persevere through everything? Uh, a couple of things. Um, the first would be God. I felt like I put all of my faith in God at that moment in my life. And I really did feel like every day it was like God and I going to battle together. The second was the community that started forming for me. I could not have gone. It was a huge lesson in life to be like, you can go through something alone or you can go through something with a community and how the difference of that is. And so the community that I had on Instagram was a lifeline in so many ways. Uh, I'll never forget it. It um, honestly, I think is one of the most beautiful things that I'll probably ever experience in my entire life. Um, and then my family, for sure, family and friends. I couldn't have gotten through that time in my life without my family and friends and my son. Elvis, um, thank God for that little boy. He forced me to smile every day. Um, I would leave the hospital in tears, a shell of a human being, and I would park the car take a deep breath, get out of the car. And I'd walk in that door and he would come crawling towards me or walking towards me in his little walking mobility thing with the biggest smile. And you cannot not smile when your kid is doing that. And so a lot of times I would feel so bipolar because I would leave the hospital one way and walk into the house and have to be like a completely different person immediately. Mm -hmm but he saved me. He, he made me laugh and smile every single day. He gave me a purpose in my life, uh, especially after Nick died. So yeah, those three things, God, community, family, friends, Elvis, that's, that's how I got through those 95 days and then beyond. Well, and I mean, again, it makes perfect sense, and and ha and I just shared with you just my recent. It's literally, I understand um, what the power of community does: your family, your belief, and community. And going public, it's it serves. It's it's a it serves. A, it's very like it's bigger than all of us. I think that's the power and the beautiful power of social media. Like if you take what the purpose of social media is, yeah. how we can touch people in a much bigger way than we could ever do physically and un, un, under unfortunate circumstances. 
you know, happy times and not happy times. Yeah. Social media gets a lot of bad rep and and I get why it does. And I Mm -hmm. hate, I hate those aspects of it. Mm -hmm. But when I started talking about Nick, I had 50,000 followers. I only remember this because I was, my fitness business was um, my, my business at the time and my only business at the time. And I was constantly, you know, just trying to grow that number to make my business. And I thought I like 50,000 followers. I was like, I have an enormous following, like, and, 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 a, and a very dedicated community at, at, at 50,000. And, um, and I was very used to already sharing my life because I used that platform to share everything I was doing with fitness. So I, I was very used to, you know, I'm going here today. I'm doing this today, blah, blah, blah. But, um, I had, I had no idea really, like I I didn't expect what happened with the community, how it grew and how the support that came through. And I think it's because it was a very special time in our world where we were all sitting at our homes doing nothing. So people didn't have another thing to, to focus on. So I'm very lucky in that way because this community that is still now my community on social media is this very loving, supporting community that have loved to watch Elvis grow as a kid. Mm-hmm. They have loved to support me and my endeavors and Dancing with the Stars and Hooray for t-shirts and my fitness platform and the talk and my books. Um, and it's been really lovely. And 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 so I I have a very good relationship with social media in that way, because I, I feel very blessed to have a, a community that follows me where people like are good people and they care and um, they've seen someone really be at the bottom of their life and try each and every day to, okay, now I'm a single parent. Okay. Now I'm providing for somebody. Okay. Now I have to pick my back life back up again. Okay. Now I'm gonna, you know, try to do all these different things in my life and expand and grow and evolve because that's what I love to do anyways. And I love to create and, and it's just been, it's just been an amazing ride. And I I wish all social media was supportive and loving and a community like that. (laughs) It's sad. No, 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 no. I, I completely concur. And I only learned that in the last three years. Truthfully. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I didn't even know how to take a selfie three and a half years ago. And here I was photographing everybody else and making their careers. So (laughs) it wasn't something I would do because I thought of it as, oh, that's what influencers do. Yeah. Yeah. Because because that's all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, when I was starting my fitness business, I I influenced all the time and I did a lot of treats. And so I worked with hotels a lot and I was influencing in that way a lot. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause like a lot of the things that I think people see me do, don't realize that I've actually done them way, 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 way before you started following me. It's just always been sort of a part of my life, especially the whole fitness part of my life, the influencing part of my life, working with hotels across the whole world has been something I've been doing my entire life. It's like what you said. It's, um, you, uh, you said it a little while ago about like what you've always known that you are, you can do or are capable of or want to do, um, and want to create. And it's not what people know that you can do or, you know, but, but we can't live 
by what we think people think we can do. You know, you got to just live your truth. You got to stay. Um, I don't know. I love challenging myself and, and I love like, I love, it happened with my Christmas movie. My new obsession is like creating ideas and then making them happen is so awesome. It's so fun. Whether I'm involved acting in them or not, or I'm just on the other end producing and creating it. I just, it's so fun to, to do these things. So. Well, I think that um, I want to lean into that. So one of the many, th- other many things, other many, is it such a thing? <laughs> One of the many layered things that I love about you is that you are an entrepreneur and that you are an idea person. I think I th- was taught this by, um, not taught this, but it was validated um, at the time. Um, the family that owned 51% shares of CBS at the time was owned originally because the father had bought the rights to three stooges and the brothers ended up taking over. Ironically, I had been, I had written five screenplays in the nineties in between my two marriages. And, um, the first, the first movie I wanted to just get, I wanted to get a million dollar gambler who just can drop a million dollars every night and just doesn't care, just disposable, great, let's invest in her. Cut to full circle, I'm now brought in to do this interview with not that brother, but the other brother at his home for Bravo because he's talking about the history of how his family became, his the family that became. And so inevitably, I go to do his hair and makeup sexy because he's smart he's just he's a thinker he's like that to me is sexy I mean yeah you've got to be physically attractive to me too but but a smart human being is to me super sexy so I'm sitting here during this interview going oh my god I've I've like got to write this man's like I don't know I've like just gotta like I've just gotta well cut to the 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 interview ends I'm thinking, I mean, I'm already packed up. I'm thinking, thank you very much. Nice to meet you. Nice to take care of you. He's like, invites me up to his and his wife's master suite to, you know, ask me if I take off his makeup. Well, rarely am I asked to do that unless, of course, I've done special effects on somebody or because my my actors know that I take good care of their skin. So it was very random and I felt safe. And so I was like, yes, of course. And long story short, Amanda, he must have gotten that I was very cerebral just based upon like how I was really paying attention to interview. And he also knew who I had been aligned with in the industry and how my name had come forward. So he starts asking me about certain people that I had been aligned with and why do you think that this worked or this didn't work and from a very like agent manager observer I would say well because this person wasn't paying attention they weren't listening it was all about them and he'd look at me and go that's exactly why that show didn't work because in in this case it was a talk show and it was somebody who was super talented highly regarded comedian done a lot of acting roles now had their own talk show, but it always came back to them. Now, in this situation, in my podcast, yes, I intertwine my story, but it's not not for the reasons that I'm just reflecting. 
But ironically, what I've also never shared with you is in 1983, when I was in college, which was maybe before you were born, I don't remember, but Me too. I was fun. <laughs> I was in um, with some friends in, in Chicago. My one friend's parents had been plucked out of Ohio, ironically, by Ray Kroc, who had launched McDonald's and sent them to London to open McDonald's, which in turn made them multi-multi-millionaires. We're sitting in what's called Water Tower Place at the time, which had been launched in the mid-70s, where it was like one of the high-rises to live in. And it was a live, it was a condo, and it was a hotel, and it was all the top-notch you know, the Lord and Taylors of the time and all the things. And we're sitting there and randomly, my friend says, this woman moved across the hallway and, I, and, and, and it was just so random. And he says, yeah, this woman by the name of Oprah. It's 1983. And I went, Oprah. And all my friends looked at me like, yeah, Felicia, he said, Oprah, they don't even know who Oprah is. Nobody knows who Oprah is because Oprah was a little show in Chicago yeah that was local not not national and I was like seriously and he was like yeah I get out a pen I, I was like do you have paper do you have a pen he was like yeah let's figure I write this love letter to her literally seeing her future like wow. speaking into what her future is going to become yeah and I sl and saying that I want to align with her. I'm a college student. I'm going to be graduating. I see your future. I've always loved talk shows since I was a little girl. It's like to me, I love how people engage. It's like a dinner party, but in a talk show like environment, we, you know, great conversation. I slip it under her door. He asked me because they created Harpo. They, these brothers, is what made her become international. Oh. He asked me, did she ever respond? Now, obviously, this is pre-cell phones, this is all those things. I said, no. And I had, uh, and later in my starting early career is when she launched the studios in the area that I was living and working in loft spaces that only, as you know, artists would come in and gentrify communities and all that. He said, did you work with her then? And I said, no, actually I didn't because I was off doing all these other things. Well, what I didn't know at the time, but he came to explain was that they were starting to go in different directions. Like they launched her, they made her who she was, so to speak. And I, there must have been a little bit of something that they weren't happy about. But he really showed disappointment that she hadn't responded when she could have as somebody who was not established. I held no judgment. It was just like I was just living my truth. But what he said to me, getting back to ideas, was Felicia, everything begins with an idea. It's the most powerful thing. And from there, anything is possible. And with that, he gave me this huge fiscal tip <laughs> that I went straight to the bank and I literally launched another savings account with this money that I had been gifted because I think he saw in me what I was capable of. And then it was a matter of belief and confidence and all the stuff that came with it, which has 
flourish come and gone and come and gone through life experiences because I don't know if you know this between my two marriages I was I've literally gone through domestic violence with somebody so I was lucky to be here so there's a lot of things that I think for me one has to not has to but happens to go through so you can become the wise teacher and you can become the inspiration and the manifester in a greater space. And I think for me, you know, some people get into it in their twenties and gain success. Some people start to do it later in life. I think I've been kind of climbing that mountain slowly, but surely, but it's again, not about me going back to you. Ideas are, the most powerful thing. And when you when you lean into them, it's amazing, again, what doors can open. Uh-huh. And watching you manifest your Fit for Christmas and writing your books, one about Nick and now the one because of Elvis's, you know, dreams, you know, it's just a beautiful thing to observe and be inspired by. And, you know, I love you for it because... You know, I'm not sitting on the sideline. I'm going, a man is in my life one way or another to keep telling me, Felice, do it, do it, do it. And I want to thank you for that. Thank you. Well, that's very sweet. Thank you. Yeah. It's good to have people in your life that, that remind you to do it, right? It goes back to community and it goes back to, it goes back to the quality of the human beings you surround yourself with because you can be surrounded by a lot of people, but it's who wants to cheer you on, who believes in you above and beyond your own beliefs. You got to be with people who are genuinely healthy in mind, body, and spirit. Yeah. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. And you know, when all the things happen with Nick and the social media and Elvis and all that trans, you know, that transition occurred that you can never have imagined in a million years. Uh-uh. No. Yeah. No, I mean, it's still you know, surreal to this day. I, I, it feels like how, <laughs> how did I, you know, cause sometimes you go back into your phone and start finding things and, I'll look back on like videos of just people all over the world singing and dancing with me every day. And I'm just like, I cannot believe that happened. I, it just was, it was crazy. Such a crazy, I say crazy in a good way, like a crazy experience. Yeah. And I think that it is, you know, it is, I mean, you know, and nobody knows, I mean, grief is something you can't explain. Loss is something you can't explain. Nobody, nobody's going to go through it the same way you're going to go through it. And you can't explain how you're going to go through it. No, you have no idea. You have no idea how it's going to go, how it's going to go through your body, how you're going to process it, when you're going to process it, when it'll hit you, all of the things you, you, it's nothing you can, uh, there's no rule book, you know? There's no rule book for it. There's no rule book for healing. There's just, there's no, rhyme or reason you just have to I think you have to be or what I've tried to do is just be active in um you know I truly do want to heal I want to because I know Nick would want me to so I Mm -hmm. I truly do try to do everything I possibly can to keep moving forward and um 
And I don't think there that ever means forgetting the past. I don't think mm -hmm. it means forgetting your person. You'll never forget your person. I don't I don't go a day without missing Nick. I mean, that's just of course, but uh like you can't live in the past, you know. You can't you can't live with that and and I and I again, I know he wouldn't want me to. And I it's one of the, it's advice I give to a lot of people grieving. I always say on bad days, on on heavy hard grief days, I always think to myself, what would Nick want me to do? And I can usually say with 100% certainty, he would want me to get up, smile, go outside, do whatever, you know, do something to make myself happy. So it's, it's always my go-to. And I think like with any loss, a loss of a child, a loss of a grandparent, a loss of a brother, a sister, I think we can say that for everybody. There's nobody that means something in your life that much in your life if that's you know, grief is love. So if, if that person loved you and you're grieving that love, there's no way that person wouldn't want you to continue to live, continue to experience happiness and joy. So that's how I always kind of look at it. It's, it's true. I mean, I was a child of losing a father at 14. So I, I went through that experience. Even though we had lost grandparents, I went through that experience on like, any of my peers had there was no defining it there was no there was it was a matter of literally putting one foot in front of the other my mother was all of 42 with three young children and it was I mean she was my hero frankly yeah. you know how she figured it out is beyond and I I think that it was a matter of I mean I think it took my family about 20 years to like kind of fully recover you never like you you learn things that you can't explain other than to say to others there is no right or wrong there is no when it's a matter of time it's a matter of process it's a matter of taking those moments and knowing it's not going to be always simple and easy um and then ironically i lost my mom two weeks before the pandemic shut down our country and so it was one of those things where it's like, that was a whole nother layer because she had been such a rock. She had been such an inspiration. And getting back to what you were sharing regarding Nick, no, he would, he would only want you to live life to the fullest. He would, he would want you to get up and get you and Elvis outside and put your feet on the ground and feel the earth and let it generate through your system and let the vitamin D from, you know, and the air just that energy circulate and go, all right, God, you know, bring on the miracles today and let's go out and powerfully face them and create them. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, you as an entrepreneur have been very inspirational. I think that one of the lessons you also teach really well is that you're not one person in the sense that you have one direct, you have multiple layers and that's what create, like, I think I call us living onions. There's lots <laughs> of layers to us. And so I think that that's also 
something that's super inspirational about you and I think is a really huge lesson for people to know that you're not defined by one thing. You get to create anything and everything and not be put in this box because other people think you should be or you think that that's what other people, because that's limited beliefs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I And I love, I love thinking about something and surprising somebody with like, what's she doing? She's doing that now? Like, I love that. I, I, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I've always been a creative mind kind of person, creative person. So I just love to create in any way I can. And I think also, I feel like living in Hollywood has been a bit inspirational too, because you just meet so many different people that do so many different things in this business. And and it's fun to be like, well, I never thought I'd write a screenplay, but I'm going to try. And then you're just like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And, and there's, you just never know. I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of life is believing enough in yourself and then others start believing in you too. So yeah, I don't know. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed just, just doing all the things that I possibly can do. It's fun. Yeah. And do you think the talk in its own way was another form of a ring buoy? Uh, another form of what? A ring buoy, like an opportunity that like gave you just like, uh, I mean, that's a strange thing to say about a talk show, but a you know, lifeline. I think that, um, I think the talk was a divine intervention. I really do. Um, because of all of the studios that I could be working at, I'm working at a studio that is five minutes from my house, three minutes from my son's preschool. It is a job that came to me right after Nick passed. It allows me to be a mother in the morning, drop my kid off at school, go to work and then pick him up in the afternoons. Um, it allows me to do other things and create other things. It gave me a place to go to every day where I got to laugh and connect with adults. And when you live alone through the early stages of grief, and I say alone because Elvis was one and a half, two years old, you're not talking to anyone, you know, you, you you're talking to Google Gagas, you know, yeah. So it gave me an opportunity every day to get dressed, to put makeup on and talk to adults and feel connected to people, meet people and laugh every single day within hours that also allowed me to take my kid to school and pick him up from school. It, I'm sorry, it's divine intervention. It really was God going yeah, I just put you through a really hard thing and I'm going to give you a little bit of a blessing. Um, that show has been a family for me and it has been just a really great, wonderful environment for me to be at every single day. Very, very thankful for that job and the people there. Everyone's so kind. Everyone welcomed me with the biggest arms. Um, it's had many reiterations since I've been there and every time it's been even better than the last one. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it, it, it's an amazing, it, it was an amazing job. And, you know, ironically, I had done a lot of morning t television shows through Broadway mm -hmm. and through fitness. I had been on morning talk shows for years. So mm -hmm. walking on to a live talk show set was not anything that wasn't, I wasn't used to. 
um, sitting in an environment on live television wasn't something I wasn't used to. I was doing live theater for 16 years. I didn't, mm -hmm. I love life. Live is where I thrive. <laughs> so it's like, mm -hmm. I was fine. Um, so it, it ironically just felt like, and, and also like having a schedule, you do your show every day at 11. It's like Broadway, you do your show every night at eight. Um, it just, it felt like a Broadway show to me, but just in a television form. Um, so it literally, it was, it just felt natural. It was very strange because I never thought I'd be a talk show host, but it just kind of felt like, oh yeah, well, yeah, this makes sense. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I think it, it's like life is a living sculpture, right? And, and you mold this clay and that's what you've been doing consciously, unconsciously with intention and manifestation. And, you know, it goes back to the little girl who visualized and continues to create. And I think the takeaway of this whole conversation is belief, confidence, envision, manifest, keep showing up, keep getting up, no matter what life faces you, you have the power to create whatever. And yeah, it's not always going to be a straight road. Sometimes it's gonna be really painful. Sometimes it's gonna be really rewarding, but overall, it's about showing up and living it to the fullest and embracing it for what it is. Yes. Felicia, that was an amazing recap. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love you. I love, I love you. you so much. <laughs> and listen, thank you for saying yes. Oh my I'm God. Glad I was in this. I'm, I'm glad I was in the season of you saying yes, because um, that to me, was everything i love you it was so great to chat with you today i love you thank you for being in my life bro you say you thanks see you soon okay bye i hope you really took away some dynamic pieces about amanda and who she shows up being every step of the way in her life no matter the highs or the lows the lessons and the perseverance, the inspiration and the desire to just continue to get better like a fine wine. <laughs> I love Amanda. I am so grateful to be able to share some insight about who she is as a human being, as a woman, and who she is as a visionary and an artist. And I really thank you for being a part of this Camp Fifi Uncensored community, sharing, subscribe, letting people know that this community is building and the momentum is really beautiful. So gather around next week for another episode of Powerful Women. I look forward to you joining us. Much love. Have a beautiful week. Bye for now. Oh.